Greetings! My name is James Major Burns, and I am your host of The Third Degree with me, James Major Burns. So people remember this is a safe space and outlet for myself and others to express what's going on in their lives and our world. Here you get to see what's going on behind the mind of the creative versus what you think you know, because what you see ain't always the truth. Here we get to learn, laugh, love, and share together. So people, I am very, very excited (laughs) about my next guest. She is the mother, mother of one of my closest, dearest friends, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Karen Clark Green, now cook. Cooks. Cooks. With an S. With an S. Okay. That's a lot of names, but I like it. <laughs> I could write a movie about it. Yes, Karen Clark Green, dot, cooks. dot, dot, now cooks. Is it just Karen Clark Cooks now? Or? No, it's Karen Clark Green. Cooks. Cooks. Okay. Okay. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, how are you today? I am amazing. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I am so excited because uh, I sent out a bunch of messages to a bunch of people. And I was like, hey, I'm starting this podcast. And I kind of got, I always wanted to do a podcast. I always wanted my own show. I actually wanted my own talk show since Tyra Banks had her um, talk show um, back in the early 2000s. And I watched America's Next Top Model growing up. And for me, Tyra was always this positive person who was trying to encourage people who dealt with her issues with herself out loud also. So I... Being the person I am, I love talking. I said, I would love to have a talk show one day. Not understanding or realizing that I could make it happen for myself before lights and cameras and things. So that's what I've learned in this last couple of years is how to make things happen for myself. So now I have my talk show and I was able to give it to myself with the technology that has been presented to us by the world. People can hear me around the world. Soon I'll have visual. Now, regardless of what stage it gets to, I still have it. So that's what I've um, learned about, you know, wanting to get things. But besides all that, I send out some emails. I send out messages to people. And a a lot of people didn't respond at all. Hmm. Or some people, they were like, what do you want to talk to me for? Um, Like, I don't do anything. Or my life's not interesting. I'm like, well, anyone who's alive has an interesting fact about them or moments about them because life period. I mean, if you're going day to day and you just have no issues, we can trade. (laughs) We can definitely trade off. So I was super, super excited when you said that you would do the um, podcast. So I'm very, very happy to have you here. And I'm happy to be here, son. Thank you so much. So we can get right into this. I have a lot of questions, and I want you to think of questions that you want to ask me. I always ask my guests to ask me a question. You can ask me in the middle or at the end. It doesn't matter. So before there was a Green Dynasty, there was just Karen Clark. Yes. So I want to ask you, who was Karen Clark growing up? Oh, my God. I grew up in a black Italian neighborhood back in the uh, 1950s. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually started in equity theater at the age of nine with the Kinley Players. My first production was with Betty White 
in The King and I. And wow. I was one of the King's children. And I was also chosen to be the dancing Buddha in the one scene, which was very interesting because I was the only black child um, in the cast, in the show at the time. So I, I lived this life in a black Italian neighborhood. My family was primarily baseball. That's what I was going to ask. So did your, they weren't singers or actors? No, my mom played semi-pro uh, baseball. My father did semi-pro baseball. Wow. My you... brother grew up playing baseball. When we went outside to play, we played baseball. I was like, <laughs> baseball. So you were a baseball family. Yeah, and then there was me. So I literally, because we were talking about cultures yes. earlier, so I would come out of this culture, and then I'd be in this culture with all these people from Hollywood and uh, New York. So how'd you get the opportunity to be in that show, in the equity show? My mom, <laughs> my mother worked at a beauty salon called Fred Woods. So most of your stars that came in for Kinley that's where they went to get their hair done and stuff. So my mother would take me with her. My job was to clean out the brushes. And I know that's right. Put you right to work. Yes, <laughs> yes. It, I learned I learned this all a lot as a child at this beauty salon, mm -hmm. cleaning brushes, <laughs> let me tell you. But um, she got me an audition uh, with John Kenley. And I auditioned, and that's how I got into the Kenley Players. Well. That must have been amazing. And I even, I'm thinking about the salon, especially in the time that you were in. So were there a lot of um, natural pressed hairs? It was a, what time was that for the type of hairstyles that they were no, getting? No, no, this was a white salon. Oh, okay. So I was thinking of black women everywhere. No, no, oh, no, no, no. no. No, this was a So your white mother were, were doing white ladies' hair? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Wow. So where... Did that take you, so you did that show at, at nine years old, so you were still in school. Oh, of course. Of course. So elementary school, so then you go into middle school, high school, were you participating in theater and anything like that in school? No. My, um, well, let me go back just a little bit because it was almost as if I were two different people. You know, I was this child that existed in this neighborhood with my baseball family and you know, would run after my brother and we'd get in fights. If he got in a fight, I would jump in it, that kind of thing. I was a tomboy. My mom was a tomboy. And then I'd be in this other culture with these people that were very different. Um, you know, sometimes I saw things that a little nine-year-old black child should never see. And I developed this method of coping with my life, even though I felt like I was from two different worlds. So I was a performer who didn't know I was a performer because there was no one else in my immediate circle who was performing. So I would do things, though, like, like my mother was an athlete, so she'd gather the kids and teach them gymnastics or something like that. And I would, we would do things like pop some popcorn, get a lemonade stand, and I would have the kids do tricks. And we'd put together something, <laughs> not knowing. I remember one time someone asked me, when did you start directing? And I think I said, in college. Then I had to go back. Now, wait a minute. In my neighborhood, I used to get the kids. And we used to do these shows for the people on 2nd Street. Isn't it great and to actually understand 
what you thought you did at, in college, you actually had been doing way before then. Yes. I I have a journal I've had since the fifth grade and I, I write my own songs and I always say, well, I just started writing songs a few years ago. And, the, but I do have my journal where I have several songs to where I just didn't even consider that songwriting for whatever reason, but I have been trying or had the love for it for all of those years. So you out here popping pop, um, popcorn and giving kids lemonade, but if somebody touch your brother, you popping them in the head. So I want to ask you, how was life um, with your family growing up? D- was it just you and one sibling? No, there's uh, actually four of us. My older brother is 11 years older than me. Oh. Yes, and then um, my sister, I'm the youngest, my sister, my brother, and I, somehow it worked out, are all like 16 months apart. Oh. <laughs> yes. They said we're not doing this again. Yes. So we're all very different. We are, I mean, all very, very different. Um, you know, we were a, a close family in reference to cousins and all that. We, we were not related to anyone in Warren, Ohio, at all. Uh, my father did not know his father or any of his relatives. He only knew his mother. Wow. So my mother's family became his family. And my mother's family was massive, you know, especially at at the time. Um, So there were a lot of major family events that we consistently had in reference to extended family. Okay. Yeah. So how was life growing up in church, because I know you're a woman of God. So how was that when you, how was getting into that being a a young black girl? Okay, let me be very careful. Um, My, who I am now spiritually was not then. I went to church because it was the social thing to do in, you know, especially, you know, black communities, black right. neighborhoods, you know, I just thought of it as... Right, that's uh, a part of life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, you can't go to the movies if you don't go to church. You're right. definitely not going skating. Right, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, oh, you yeah. didn't go to church? You're going to oh, church. You go, and you're not coming home and going outside? <laughs> yeah, so we would, you know, we had this thing, we'd go to church, and my grandmother, who was a, 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 a deaconess, I think, all I remember is she was, she always had on white, the white shoes. Oh, yes. And so, during offering... We would make sure we walk around, go past my grandma so she could see we were in church. And uh, then we'd go out the back and go out the back door uh, and go over to the store until church was over. And then we'd come back and sit in the back. So I did not grow up learning about God, if that's what you're saying. It was more um, social. And, uh, you know, don't want to mention what church. And anyone listening to me who knows me, they know where I grew right. up at. And not to say that it was not taught or uh, mentioned there, but that's not what affected, you know, my life in reference to who I am right now. It's, I'm so happy to be able to sit down and talk with you like this because I always look at you as a parent figure in my life too because you're Josh's mom and the way I was raised is you respect um, one your elders and my friends' parents always kind of seem like parents to me also. So I have like this image of them and who I think they are. And just like my parents, it took me a long time to see, um, to actually just look at my parents as people versus right. your mom and your dad and mom and dad do these things. And now and then one day it just clicked in my head. I was like, oh, well, 
Sam and Carla did the best they could. They tried the best they could. That is correct. They love me, and I can't feel this way because it was only when I started to get older and realize how, like, the world was working. And I was like, oh, whoa, they had to do this stuff too, but they had kids or times were different. So I got to be more understanding. And But it comes with... Um, Age and wisdom. And maturity, yes. yes. But it's nice um, just because, like you said, that's not who you were at that. So I'm like, oh, you know, I've, because of how I know you now, I've just assumed, oh, you've probably been this way your whole life. I don't know. Um, like I said, Karen Clark or Karen Clark when she was um, in her prime of her career or when she was a first-time mother and how life was for her and that or, or being married. So that's why I'm excited to be able to ask you these questions. Good, good, good. So you went to YSU and studied voice. Yes, I actually, so you had asked me prior if in school I was in theater and all that, I was not. Um, I was in choir. I never sang a solo. No. Uh, never did. I never thought of myself like that. Um, the theater thing, I, I was dramatic and theatrical, I think, innate, not realizing it, but it just, I, I just never did it. So even in choir, if whoever the soloist was was not there, they would say, Karen, will you sing the solo? And I would. And then they would come and say, well, you want to do a solo? And I'd say no, because I just never thought of myself that way. So, you know, in the 60s, everybody was singing. Everybody was in a group, you know, Motown. So I was in a little group, um, migrated from one group into another group. I didn't sing leads. You know, I sang background. And there might have been a couple songs I sang lead, but I just never took it that way. So as time went on, um, and I decided to go to school, I didn't know what to be interested in. And so I said, okay, I tell you what, music, because music, you know, music is easy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, music is easy. I'll, I'll do that. And so um, then it was Dana, School of Music was still a private school. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't so, even know and that. And I had to audition to get into Dana. And I had, you know, done some other things with Kinley through uh, my teenage years as well. And when I wasn't performing, I was ushering or, you know, handing out programs. I was doing something. In the theater. In, in theater. Yeah, in professional theater. You know, um, if people don't know that I've never done community theater. I've, wow, no. I've, you know, it was an absolute shock to me. Fun when fact. I came, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, absolute shock to me when I came here. I think it was 99, and they wanted uh, Ken Brown and I were doing uh, Black Nativity. And I couldn't get a grip why these people were acting like, what? Now, was this your theater. production or another production? No, it was Playhouse. Okay. Youngstown Playhouse. Um, and Ken and I had been talking about it, and, you know, but I don't want to skip all over the place, so let me go back to where I was in reference to uh, going to school. So I went and I auditioned. Uh, I auditioned with a song I already knew. Some of the professors I knew because they were part of the orchestra with the Kinley Productions oh. that I had been in. Oh. And so, you know, there was some talk of her professional experience. But with Kinley, I was a child actor and dancer, not a singer. So I sang the song, sheet music, acting like I was reading it, even though I knew the song. And um, they accepted me. 
And the reality slap in the face was when I went to my first theory class. And I realized I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Mm -mm. And I had no clue that this was this hard. I had no clue that being a voice major meant opera. Now, growing up, I had a cousin who was over a well-known gospel group called the Meloneers back in the 50s and 60s. So my understanding was I can't sing gospel, so I can't really sing, which is why you know, I didn't accept solos in school. You know, I, I didn't have what they had, and so there really was no place for me, I, I felt. I grew up feeling that way because I didn't... I always felt like the singers. I was like, the oh, singers, yes. I, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't sing like that. I can't do all of those riffs and runs. And the crowd is not shouting and throwing shoes when I'm singing. So I felt like I couldn't sing. Yeah, that's exactly. So, so I definitely relate to that. That's exactly how I felt. And so my first year there was extremely rough. I was the second black uh, voice major there at that time. And uh, this is early 70s. I didn't, uh, I graduated in 1968 and I didn't go to college till January of 69. Okay. Um, and I grew up in this culture of, even though we were baseball, my mom was very political and very civic. So, you know, I grew up in the civil rights movement. Uh, my mom's radical, I'm radical. <laughs> you know, um, saw a lot, you know, grew up picket, picket line, you know, the whole deal. We were part of the youth thing for the NAACP, travel conventions, all of this. And so now I'm in this arena where the culture is, once again, very different, just like when I was a child. The culture is very different and it's predominantly white, once again, just like it was when I was a child. But I'm this innate, radical, um, you know, I can do your thing, but I can go out and play baseball and I can beat up a boy. <laughs> you know, I can do that too. Um, and there were just some things that were happening in the school that I could not allow to happen to me directly as a young black woman in reference to things I was hearing. There was a lot of racist kind of things. So it was very difficult. Um, I quit three times. Uh, vowing to never, I'm never coming back to your school. <laughs> so when I would quit, I would go into telecommunications. And so I would take these telecommunication courses. Uh, there was a very well-known uh, radio DJ back then called Boots Bell. Boots Bell was my teacher and a very close friend. Uh, in fact, he helped me so many times when we had opera rehearsals and things like that. Uh, to allow me to miss class for that, mm. those kind of things. But I did that enough till um, YSU called me and said, you know, you have enough credits over here in telecommunications for an associate degree if you want one. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> okay, yeah. But I made the decision, I'm not going to allow anyone to stop me from being who I'm called to be. So I have to suck it up. I need to suck this up and go back and finish what I started. So when I went back, and when I went back solid, my sister-in-law, Pam, she had started. 
Um, and that's a whole nother story because uh, my mother-in-law was a contralto. Oh. Pam is a mezzo and I was a soprano. Ooh. Yeah. So, of course, some people said Mike's mom planned that, but, you uh, know, of course. Of course. Yeah, so when I went back, she had begun, and it kind of came across to me, and I, I'll put it on me, it's like, okay, we have one now. We don't need another one. Oh. Um, I ended up going to a vocal competition, and at this vocal competition, Someone took me aside afterwards, and they talked to me, one of the judges, and they encouraged me. And no one had ever done that in reference to me singing classical music. You know, once I started singing it, I realized I like this, and this is really who I am. Now I understand why I didn't fit here and didn't fit there, and I need to embrace all of me. But they took me aside, and they encouraged me, and the very next day I could sing differently. So then I started winning some of these vocal competitions. Me and Pam placed and won a lot of vocal competitions. Isn't it amazing what something like encouragement, which you can't put in a bottle or like grab, can do and change in you as far as a feeling, like you said, yes. physically, you yes. sing differently the next yes. day. Compassion is a very powerful tool. You know, maybe someone might have said those same words to me, but they said them differently. Right. But the way this person... Even with the same intent. Yes. But the way this person talked to me, it, it's like something went through my whole body. Uh, it, it affected my brain. It affected, like, the confidence to be who I am. And so then um, there was the opera, The Medium, was coming up um, at YSU. And so I wanted to, I wanted this one part, and Pam wanted this one part. And, <laughs> There's no way, only two, you know, they're not gonna have two blacks do the leads in this opera. That can't happen. We auditioned, even though we knew no one could do it as well as we. Mm. I mean, that was a given. Um, so when, once I had gone back to school, it went from get out of my school. Then I started winning competitions to come over for dinner. Oh. So anyway, we auditioned and we, we got the leads. And something that Bill Slocum, who is past now, great conductor, con conductor of a Warren Concert Band, and he was over the orchestra at YSU, uh, Danish School of Music at that time, and a very good personal friend, said to me and would always say to me when he saw me years, decades later, the best performance that has ever happened at YSU, at Dana School of Music, was when y'all did the medium. Case closed. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask, because you've made a couple of comments about it, but, and it's, it, it, it like pains me to hear these comments sometimes, but, and, and I couldn't imagine being a black person growing up in that time, and I will say, especially a, a black woman, like you said, how um, how you and Pam—they're not gonna, because I feel I feel that way sometimes at auditions. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, I'm only here for this role. When I walked in for Shrek, I knew the other three black boys were there for Donkey, oh, okay. but but for you guys, 
to know, to know you have the talent to be this part, but you already know you're already number 10 on the list and the other nine girls might not even be there, but they're waiting for them to come in before you even consider. And that's in something that you want to do that you love. So you don't have to do that, but you want to do that. And then there's life where that is the same placement for you. Mm-hmm. How was growing up in that time and and now we're in a new time, so the world has changed. How has it been seeing things change? Okay, the world has not changed that much, I'm sorry, but it has not. Um, I was groomed, meaning that's the way it was. So even with Kinley, you know, as this little girl, and they were trying to make a decision out of the children, you know, who would do the part as, as the dancing Buddha? And so they had all of us audition, and I got the part. And so a lot of us were in a car, and I don't remember where we were going. You know, one of the mothers was taking us somewhere. And so the other little kids were discussing, well, the only reason you got the part is because you're so different. You're not like us. And so they didn't know what else to do with you. And so Mm. I grew up in that, having to adapt and stay me. I mean, in almost every segment of my life, even, you know, when I started really performing out, there was no place for me. So if I went into, say, um, a black church to do a concert or uh, a black organization, they weren't bringing in an opera singer. Right. You know, they at least wanted to hear, you know. So when I would go to a black church or a black organization, I would purposely only do classical music. If I was called into a white church, I'm going to do spirituals and things about black culture. I'm going to use all of me wherever I'm at, and it's going to be accepted because I have to accept it first. You know, so I I learned through all of those to adapt to where it's it just kind of rolls off my back. Um, you know, there are places now you can't have this role. You know, because we really didn't consider a black woman or you've got too much of this in your voice uh, or you don't look this or, you know, something. And rejection is part of this experience, as you know. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able, not, you have to be able to handle rejection by knowing who you are because there will always be someone who's going to reject you even when you're the best person for the job. I've just like learned this lesson I fail. And when um when I auditioned for Shrek, I didn't get a call for like almost five weeks. So after the call back and I sent my video in, I'm I felt really good about it. I just felt like I was like, okay, you know what? I played this role two times before. I've definitely been working hard. I was in that place to where I felt like community theater, maybe I don't know if I want to do it anymore because I'm dealing with people who are, you know, here for fun and just I don't want right. to be unhappy doing it. So going into the audition, I was like, okay, I feel like this is like the best opportunity for me to get this role at this theater um, right now in my life. And I feel like I'm ready for it. Now, that doesn't mean... I. I should get the job just because I feel like I'm ready. But Mm -hmm. I just felt, I like felt it in me so much. Mm -hmm. I just was like, I know it. I know I can be this character. I know I can be donkey. So as time was going on, I was, um, 
just down, I'm depressed, if you want to say, for like yeah. three weeks. I did not go to sleep before 3 a.m. And I had to get up and go to work every morning. But I just felt so defeated because I just felt like I wasn't, I didn't feel like I wasn't talented or anything. I just didn't understand. I was like, I just felt like everything lined up. I, it, it didn't make sense to me why I didn't get the part. And then I had to start to realize, I was like, you know what? Some What it really made me realize is just because you don't get the part that I'm, I'm not, not talented. Right. I'm not, um, I might just not have fit um, what they were looking for. Correct. And, and, and I was going to say that that's a big part of what has to be learned. So speaking from a director's point of view, because one of, I did this audition in New York and uh, the people loved, they said, oh, we love you. And so I'm waiting around for the call. And when I got the call, the call said, your voice just does not fit with everybody else. You know, we have to look at the whole right. cast. Right. And everybody, and you're going to stand out. Um, and I that's just, your voice. Yes. <laughs> that's your and, voice. But it's, so we're back to talking about embracing all of who you are. And all of who you are does not fit everywhere. Right. So there's a scripture that says um, your gift will make room for you and take you before great kings. And I explain to people everyone's gift is not the same size. So if you remember, there used to be these diva shows that would come on. And yeah. on this particular show, Diana Ross and Patti LaBelle were on the same show. Well, Diana Ross accused Patti LaBelle of showboating. You know, when taking over, well, we're, we're discussing gifts. So Diana Ross, her gift is like this big. I'm, I'm showing with my hands. So she only needs this much space for her gift. However, Patti LaBelle's gift takes up every space in this room. Right. Her gift was making room for her. It was not a showboat. It's just that's who her gift is. Right. So for her to do, or you to do, or I to do what someone else wants, in reference to the size of our gift, it means we would have to diminish, which a lot of people do. So once you, you understand what you have to offer, you know, then you'll understand more of what, okay, that's why they didn't call me, or oh, okay, that's why that happened. It has nothing to do with having talent, not having talent. Right. And that was um, my biggest lesson. And I've really been stressing. I did um, a bunch of podcasts with the kids in the show. They're like all in school mm -hmm. and I'm a little older and they're like, so when are you going back to New York? I'm like, no, I live in Youngstown, Ohio. Listen, I am just figuring this out. Mm -hmm. I'm not who you think I am. And I still don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm still trying to figure out this process. But what I do know is mentally you have to be strong and mentally you have to just keep checking on yourself because that's what's going to get us through and I feel like that was one of my biggest accomplishments over the summer was having this um mental um improvement to be able to understand things like oh you know not getting that doesn't mean I'm not talented. Right. It just means maybe I wasn't right for this role or they weren't looking for me and that's okay. And I did find out that they really wanted Donkey to kind of be taller, which I can't help. No, no. And it, it was kind of funny. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> they wanted me to be taller? 
okay, I get it, I get it. And again, it's not up to me to decide what they want because it's not my show. And I, I had to learn that in, right. in shows. Correct. I was get, I would be in shows and I was just like, oh my gosh, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Then I had to realize, well, it's it's not up to me for it to make sense because right. it's not my vision. And that's, that's right. it made me, a, in my opinion, a better actor because I was able to respect the director's vision more. But I had to learn it. So I'll just hope before that that it wasn't coming off like. Yeah, I mean, all of this is a learning process for all of, I mean, life is a learning process. Some people learn, some people don't. Um, the more you let go of yourself, the more of yourself you'll know. Because a lot of people can get so stuck on me, my mind, my way, how I see it, how I feel, that they never let go enough to learn the reality of who they really are or let go enough to learn what about them needs to grow. You know, you're in a good place. We, as artists, we go through depression. I mean, I do a bad performance, I'm messed up. You know, I'm going to need some counseling. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've grown, you know, past that. Um, I just did a, a performance with Warren, uh, Philharmonic in April, oh, okay. and there was an error that happened, you know, musically between me and Penis. We didn't connect, and so he had to stop, and I had to, and I was devastated. Of course, I kept performing, you know, but I was devastated. So after the performance, I did my bow. I went upstairs. I refused to come downstairs to greet uh, any people because oh, no. I was like, oh my god, oh my. And so you know, people had to help me. Get it together. Um, there is a part of that with people like us, and, and my kids have this issue as well. We can be perfectionists in reference to performance. Yes. Um, now, let me go back and reference and clarify a few things musically with my family. So my, my older brother, I told you, was 11 years older than me. So he was gone most of my life. However... He wrote uh, the music for the bebop, doo-wop, sorry, group, The Larks. And he started a record label in Cleveland, Ohio, named after my mother, called Violet Records. Wow. Yes. In fact, he just got, um, he ended up going into the military, working for the government, and so forth and so forth. Um, and keep in mind, he's 11 years older than me mm. right now. Wow. And he just got a song, because then he kind of migrated back to his life prior to military and government. And he just got a song and a film in Australia. So that was there in the line, bloodline, somewhere. Yes. My mother's brother, she has two brothers, uh, second brother was a well-known upright jazz player. But let me tell you his story. He was a janitor at Dana School of Music. Wow, really? Yes, he was a janitor at Dana School of Music. And as he would go through their cleaning, he would hear, you know what it's like when you go through a building and you hear people rehearsing different instruments and singing. It's like, to me, that's the greatest sound in the world. And so whoever was playing cello and upright bass or stringed instruments drew him in and from that, he ended up getting some lessons at Dana. And from that became this well-known jazz upright bass player. 
And my mother gave me, uh, when I was doing the performance at Warren Philharmonic, she gave me this book. Um, it's like a, a flip book, but it had um, different theory things on it, which is what they used in 1940s that her brother had kept from when he was at Dana School of Music. And so I was able to present that to them because they had never, I mean, you know, present day, right? never seen anything like that. So it's not that there was... What type of theories were in there? Um, it was used for theory class. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it was a hard, like, flip book on two rings. Yes, yes. You know, which is not a paperback book, but this hard, you know... You know, I, I thought it was maybe the 20s, but no, it was from the 40s. Wow. Yeah, so that is there. Um, we don't just pop up. You know, we are descendants. Of, we are a combination of DNAs. And even with those who are grafted in, mean, grafted in meaning um, adoption, like I tell people adoption is spiritual. That's a, that's a spiritual thing that I think people miss. I mean, it's by adoption that we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus had a stepfather. Moses was adopted. <laughs> I mean, the elements of those families had to migrate into who this person, you know, was supposed to be. And so we have all these influences in our life that we need to pay attention to. Like, I understand why I was grafted into the Green family. You know, and those others, we understand that as, as a tribe because all of us are, are theater, we're all musical. Yes. Um, and my kids' spouses are also musical. It's all the same things. It's, it's great. So speaking of the dynasty, yes. Joshua William Green, he just so happens to be one of my best friends, yes. but you have three other children, which actually he's the youngest. Yes. So... Mikey's the, the oldest, oldest, and then Paul, and then Ebony, Ebony and then Josh. Yes. I always thought Paul was the oldest because he was taller, and I know t yes. being tall makes yes. no difference. Yes. But I, I actually only found that out two okay. days ago. Okay, Josh, he, I was like, wait. Yeah, Josh is the youngest, and he's the tallest. I yes. said, Paul, Paul's not the oldest. He said, no, Mikey is. I said, oh, okay, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I hadn't known that, but see, you learn new things about your friends every day. Yeah. So you were going to school, you were performing as a singer, you were breaking into the theater world, and you also became a mother. Yes. So how was it being a first-time mother? Well, I was already in the theater world prior to marriage. Okay. I was actually, I actually got home nine days before my wedding, when I got married, I was now on let's tour. Talk about working. Yeah, I was on tour. Um, what were we doing that year? Uh, Kismet. I did Kismet um, with Hal Linden, and I can't remember. Sweet Charity okay. with uh, Carol Lawrence. And so we were on tour. In fact, they uh, the cast with Carol Lawrence. They threw me a bridal shower. It was amazing, and they kept trying to talk me out of getting married. Don't. Do it. <laughs> Your career's gonna stop. We're telling me meanwhile they're throwing me this bridal shower. Right. So I was already out there. Um, I had already, you know, done So uh, when did you two meet then? We met uh when I went to college. You know, we met when um we were both nineteen. You know, his words were I already knew you were my wife, but it was like, 
we ain't ready yet. I ain't ready. <laughs> so it was years, it was eight years later that we actually got married. Um, we were trying a couple years prior to that, but I was usually gone. So the year before that, I was in Europe. So Pam and I had auditioned for um, uh, AIMS, which is the acronym, American Institute of Musical Studies. And so we both were accepted. And during that time, it was for their summer program in Graz, Austria. So you weren't even in the family yet, and you and Pam were already friends? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, yes. that wasn't making sense to me yes. yet. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's your sister in law, yes. so of course. Because she came to Dana School of Music. Well, look at that. Yeah. yeah. I just realized that. Yeah. So we both went to Graz together. Uh, during that time, there was a Gershwin Festival happening, which we also auditioned for and were accepted into the Gershwin Festival tour. So we toured Austria, Yugoslavia, wow. um, Germany. We At that time, the Iron Curtain was still up, so we actually performed behind the Iron Curtain. We had the experience of our bus being stopped and you know, guards coming on and with guns and checking our passports and all that kind of thing. Wow. We stayed in rooms where they, like, the radio, they could control, we could not control it. Um, we experienced quite a few things together. Austria was an experience. When I went, my plan was to stay. The only one who knew I was going to stay in Europe was my mother. I didn't tell anyone else. Not even the man that I said I was going to marry. Mm -mm. I was staying. Um, I so what did you want to stay to, to do? To continue performing. Because <clears throat> at that point, I had fallen in love with opera, and opera had fallen in love with me. Pam and I, um, because of being black opera singers, and we need to understand in our ethnicity and our race, our lips, our nose, or everything is what makes each culture sound like they sound. And so usually when you get someone who is a black classical singer, there's always this assumption about your sound. And at that time, and even today, if you're a black female, they're going to compare you to Leotine Price. Oh my God, you sound just like Leotine Price, whether you do or not. Mm -hmm. But it really has to do with the intonation, you know, and all those other things that go with our culture or our race. So because of that, Pam and I were given songs that maybe, or arias that maybe students who had been singing six, seven years <laughs> would sing. But we were like second, third year, and we're singing this stuff. We're doing all the Puccini and the Verdi and the heavies. So when we get to Europe, they're like, what are you doing? You know, who's giving you all this heavy stuff? But I mean... But we could do it. I mean, we auditioned and singing this stuff, and you accepted us. Right. So I went through this. I had a very good teacher from New York. Um, and then there, were, there was another teacher that literally came with us from YSU. And I really can't remember his name. I think it was Starkey. I'm not sure. Um, so now there's this like conflicting thing of, this technique versus this technique. Oh, these people shouldn't have done this with you. You know, it's going to ruin your voice. Oh. oh, but this is who you really are. You need to embrace it. And so that coupled with 
some things that I saw while I was in Europe. I'm like, I'm getting out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm going. God is taking me back to the United Listen. States. <laughs> it is time to go home. I know that's right. Yes, I remember I wrote decision. my mother and I said, God does not live over here. Mm-hmm. I'm coming home. I know. I know that's right. <laughs> um, so when I came back, now there's this conflict of this new technique they started with me that was messing with the old technique that I was solid in, and I literally could not sing for months. I spent most of my time crying. Mm. I remember the day I sat in a chair at Dana School of Music with the voice faculty, you know, standing around me discussing this dilemma, and then someone said, well, isn't there something else you could do? Like, can't you do social work? And I remember I looked up at them I clasped my mouth so nothing would come out of it. And I walked out of there and had to remind myself about not allowing anyone to stop me from doing and being who I am. So I literally, by myself, worked technique with me until I got my voice back and could handle where I was and literally then could sing better than I was prior. And I use that when I'm working, you know, with voice students because whether it's music, voice, dance, acting, if you don't know who you are, you will become whatever anyone wants you to be. And until you're solid with that, anybody can mess with your gift. Yeah, so all of that was already in place prior to my getting married. So I came home, got married which was my choice. I knew I was making a choice that I would not be able to do, you know, New York, I'm not going to be able to, I I got that. Right. right. And then um, three months later, I was pregnant. (laughs) Okay, well, there goes that. Right. (laughs) Um, But I continued, you know, studying voice. And then at that time, Youngstown Symphony would do a major opera every year. Uh, Would bring in major major artists. And so I auditioned and uh, I got the role of Prasquita in Carmen Mm. uh, next to the leading soprano from New York City Opera. I was pregnant. I was five months pregnant. Mm. Uh, I was jumping off tables, doing all kinds of stuff, five months pregnant. So it... we were having a conversation at work the other day. Um, there was a girl who's pregnant, and every time she lifted anything, another girl would tell her to put stuff down. And she was like, I can still do things. I said, yes, women have been pregnant and holding other children and <laughs> picking up their um, houses since the beginning of time. Very capable of it. Yes, so I continued. Um, you know, I did start, I was teaching privately. I was doing concerts. Um, you know, so it did not stop. And then my husband, who was a, uh, my late husband, who was a percussionist. So, you know, we always, there was always musicians. There was always music. That's why my kids are who they are. So as time went on, um, then I had Paul and now how much older is Mikey than Paul? Okay, they're uh, like a year and a half. Okay. year and a half apart. And they, they were close. And, you know, I think each one of them thought their name was Mikey and Paul. 
because you didn't say one name without saying the right. other. So they thought their name was Mikey and Paul. <laughs> Uh, and at one point, people thought they were twins, because of course I dressed them alike. You know, right. <laughs> dramatic mother. Um, so, but we always had music. So, you know, the bands would be rehearsing downstairs in the basement. Mama would be upstairs doing opera. Um, so Mikey, who is like the, the umbrella producer, he's the one who does everyone's stuff. Um, he started with technology, probably at the age of eight. Mm. So when he dismantled his walker, we knew, okay, something about this kid and messing with screws and knobs and something. Uh, literally, as a kid, as a baby, he dismantled his walker. So I have wow. this photo. <laughs> I have this photo. I think Mikey is 11. Paul might be nine. And Paul is sitting on the floor Mikey is in this chair where he's taken the big reel-to-reel, -reel, you know, recorder thing that we used to have and hooked it up to the uh, stereo that was then hooked to the TV that was then hooked to mic, to microphones, and he was creating something. He was doing that at, at 11. He worked, he did his first professional um, track on a recording for someone at the age of 12. And then his uncle, Jeff, had a recording studio at that time, and Mikey would work in the studio. So my kids grew up in all of I mean, we had three pianos mm. in the house. You know, we had three pianos. Uh, all the guys had drums. Mikey and Paul also played lead guitar and bass. Um, you know, when they would play, they would play music. That was, we played baseball. They played musicians, you know, stuff like that. Times have changed. It's yeah. a new household now. Yeah, you know, Paul would also play preacher. But um, that was our culture in our house. So all my kids, you know, grew up in that. Um, I never forced anyone to do anything. Now, Josh, because um, when there was a reprise, in 95 uh, for the Kinleys. And so they were pulling the Kinley players back to try it again. John Kinley was 91 at the time. Wow. Yeah, you, in order to keep living, you have to keep living. Right. You know, I've had people ask me, when are you going to retire? For me, that means death. I mean, I'm purposed on this earth for a purpose. Right. And I'm only done when I'm done with my purpose. And, and I just, in, in the sense of people thinking, okay, now I'm done with this. Let me go sit down. My I've, grandfather is yeah. the exact same way. He will say the exact same thing. You have to keep living to keep living. I know my purpose. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. And I know what I'm supposed to do in reference to just go sit down. If something is wrong with me physically and I have to do that, I will do that. But my mom, I can still write, I can still direct, I can still coach, I can still do something of who I am. So I wasn't around at the time, but you had your own dance company. Well, once I got out of, I went back to grad school. Yes, um, and After Akron? I had my three kids, all right. Um, so and Ebony came a few years after Paul, or is she yes. like right closer no, to him? No, she's three and a half years after Paul. 
Yes. And then there's an 11 year difference between Josh and Mike, just like me and my. Yeah. When I found out he was the oldest is when I thought about that. Yeah. Um, No, the school came. So um, you ask about the woman of God. I definitely, my, my late husband and I, we sought through everything imaginable because we wanted knowledge. We followed Yuri Jeller. You know, we, we studied pyramid power. We would, uh, don't be shocked, but we would sit under the pyramid and, and smoke weed and think we're going to get this supernatural <laughs> something, something that was going to come to us. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, um, I studied witchcraft. I studied everything that was out there because I just had this hunger for knowledge. As a kid, I would go in the basement, and as a kid, I meant like seven, eight, nine, ten. And you know the huge, big family Bibles that you write everything in? I would read stuff in that Bible, and I would get mad at God because it said he was killing animals. Um, I didn't understand the correct context of that, and most people still are not teaching it in the right context. Right. But anyway, I, I would read things, and I didn't understand it, and there was no one to tell me, even though I went to a church. It was social. I had white gloves, like everyone. I had hats, and you know we had to at least have one fur. Um, I had all that, but I had this hunger that wasn't fulfilling me. So that stayed with me, and we sought together. And a lot of things that we thought were the ultimate, you know, the spirit guides and oh, the aliens and this and that, took us straight to God. You know, Mikey was. A miracle baby um, and there are many miracles so in our family that we could tell people uh, it's not that we are part of something that we think or something that we read or something it's this is the good thing we've lived it we've experienced some things so um, hmm, getting off track here <laughs> but anyway um, I became caught up incorrectly because there was so much judging around us once we had committed our lives to God uh, for real. And so sometimes we go through things as a lesson. It might be the wrong thing, but you need that thing because the most important thing that a person must learn is what not to do first or how will you know not to do it when it's presented to you. And so I became very religious. And people would say things to me like, oh my God, it's, we're so glad God saved you. That opera thing, that world thing. And I became very confused because I wanted to please God, not people. I've never been a people pleaser. But I wanted to please God. And I had to think about all the stuff that was happening in the arena you know, that I was in. Like one of the things Pam and I talk about a lot of the people that I toured with with Kinley and a lot of people she performed with, because she ended up going off to a Cincinnati Conservatory of Opera. Oh, okay. um, most of the people died of AIDS. So we were right in the, you know, the middle of that. And a lot of people that I love dearly you know, were all dying of AIDS. One of my closest, closest friends um, who toured with me in uh, Sweet Charity, um, Kevin Markham, and Kevin was this amazing talent that they thought was going to be the next Robin Williams. And we were 
spiritually connected where I could feel him and he could feel me. So years had gone by. You know, I had gotten married and started having babies, uh, went on with my life. I would call, like when I had to go to New York, I'd stay at his place. Uh, I would call his phone just to hear his answering machine because it was so hilarious. So if I was depressed and I needed to laugh, I'd just call his phone. So I went to visit a friend who I had toured with, and I took all, I had just had Josh. So I took all the babies, and they were visiting their family in Cleveland. And I said, you know, I keep feeling something about Kevin. And she went, oh my God, we thought you knew. They said, you know, he jumped out of uh, the sixth floor of his apartment building. He was on cocaine. I'm like, that don't even sound right. I'm sorry. I don't believe that. I mean, he did die. He did fall, whatever, however it happened. Um, but that whole um, era, you know, of people, of culture, of who was my family, you know, there was all these tragedies of death and like some of them couldn't handle certain lifestyles or the stigma you know, that went with that lifestyle. They did, some of them didn't commit suicide, some of them were drugged out and fell. And then other circumstances, what has to do with getting ahead in the business was also there as well. Right. You know, but, um, gee, didn't even know I was going to go that deep. Mm -hmm. I didn't know myself. But the third I degree. Think, <laughs> I think it's important for people who want to be artists, and it's a very different thing today, and it can be a bit dangerous, to really understand what you're coming into and what you're getting into. Um, so anyway, after all of that, uh, and I became very religious, and um, I went to see, Mike and I went to see this opera that was downtown. I don't remember what it was. I had stopped singing uh, opera and classical music. I was doing concerts, you know, spirituals and hymns, those kind of things. And someone came up to us at church and said, oh my goodness, we got these tickets to the opera, we can't go. Uh, here, you know, supposed to give them to you. I mean, I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't do that anymore. Mm. So we went, uh, got dressed up, put on my fur, we went. It took everything in me to not throw that fur off and run up on that stage. I was like holding the chair. Mm. <laughs> um, as I was leaving, my good friend, who I mentioned, who was conductor, Warren Contraband, and also at YSU, Bill Slocum, stopped me, and he said, I have been looking for you and trying to reach you for five years. I'm now conductor with uh, Cleveland Philharmonic. I want you to come sing. I'm like, oh my God. So it was like God was pulling me back into me because mm -hmm. I lost me. You got those tickets, you, you know, didn't even want to go. I had to, I had to experience what I experienced because that was a part of what not to do. This is what not to do, but also let me teach you who you are. Let me give you some morals. Let me make you understand all of who I am. But you and understanding all of who I am is going to help you understand and embrace all of who you are. So now I understand I, I am an opera singer. I, I am an artist. Uh, even with the bad stuff, I don't mean I'm the bad stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, this is where I'm called to be. So I went and I 
did this amazing. And this is after you've had your career and yes. now the family the life. Reboot. And yes, this, this is, is 2.0. Yeah. So I do, you know, uh, we did Summer of Knoxville, 1915 by Samuel Barber, which is an amazing piece. And I was in love again. From there, there was this woman who was a known vocal coach in Cleveland. So I went to audition for her, and she took me as a student, and she said, now, do you have your master's degree? No, uh, I don't. I think you need it. I'm going to um, send you some information. I'm going to talk to people at the university background. No, thank you. I, I don't want to go back to school. I have a family. I have a big house. I got three kids, um, and I don't like school. I just don't want to. <laughs> right. Um, Okay, and so she sent this information to these people at the University of Akron anyway, and they called me. You know, we got this from so-and-so. We want you to come down. And I said, well, I'm not interested, um, and my, my bachelor's is not in music anyway. I ended up getting a, a special degree, individualized curriculum, through their individualized curriculum program, which I wrote because I was going through some issues, I'm sorry, at Dana, and someone said to me, well, this is how you get over that. Uh, go talk to these people. And at that time, YSU did not offer a BFA. But I was able to get a committee of people from the different areas, dance, whatever, uh, telecommunications, whatever, theater. And they were my advisors. And I wrote my own degree. And I graduated with a BFA, which they did not have at the time. I know that's so right. I Look at that. Yes, I explained to them. Um, I don't have a, 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 a BM. It's not music. I, I don't want to go to grad school. Okay, well, we just want to hear you. Oh, so okay, we just want to hear you. Yeah, we just want to hear you. So I went down. I sang for these people. Um, next thing I knew, I was getting, like, letters, and we need your GPA and this. And I'm like... I'm, I'm down there, and I don't even know how I got there. Next thing I know, I'm a graduate assistant at the University of Akron. Um, that's a whole nother, you need a whole nother show. Right. To explain, because the, <laughs> the stuff yeah, the I did there, part. the people I mentored, how they was like, get her out of here. Mm -mm. Um, ended up actually auditioning, uh, singing in an Italian master class, and then the uh, Claudio Jambi, who came from Italy, from uh, Milano to conduct a class, invited me to Italy to work with me. So I ended up going and working with him in Italy for a while. Um, when I was backtracking, when I went to Graz, and we did the Gershwin Festival, but I also got the lead in a world premiere opera there that I was able to do in Vienna. Um, so, I mean, there, these things would happen, and sometimes... They happen with all of us. We just don't pay attention, and they're helping to clarify who we are and the level and the, the degree of who we are. But sometimes we hear people's words more than we hear our own experiences. So anyway, after I graduated from um, University of Akron, and I got pregnant with Josh while I was in grad school, mm. I did not miss a beat, let me tell you. I know. I didn't uh, miss a beat. So... I went through, I was pregnant, um, let me see, the semester was over in December, Josh was born right. in the January, right. prior to that in, okay, that was December, November, they had what was called the Concerto Opera, Concerto something competition, which 
I wanted to compete for. So I competed for it. Um, got a phone call. Now, keep in mind, I'm pregnant, very pregnant. Right. And um, Almost time. You're one of the winners. Oh, there's never been a vocal winner for the concerto, uh, whatever company. It's always been a musician, but you know, which means oh. we're presenting you in concert with the orchestra. So I have this baby, which this is happening like March 2nd. I have this baby the end of January. School starts back in session. Um, I think I go back in first class a week late with Joshua in my arms to class. And mm. then I had to physically get it together to be able to perform with this orchestra. I was going to ask, did your voice change after you had kids? No. It's not vocal. It's your, all your muscles and things being able to support your breath and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And plus, you know, I just had a baby. Uh, I'm older than everybody. I'm always older than everybody. You know, I'm older than everybody. <laughs> I got three kids at home. I'm driving from Youngstown to Akron. You know, the, one of the reasons they wanted me was so that I would do their tours so that I could bring students to the University of Akron for the music department. Mm. So part of my contract was I had to do all the tours, plus the performances. And so I'm doing all of that, plus my kids, plus my family, right. plus pre-cooking meals and all that, right. and that having this baby, winning a competition. Job, job, oh job, job, job. That's Octomom. That's but what a mom is. It. And looking back, I don't know how I did it, except to say God did that. I, to mentally think through it, I don't know how I did it. Because there were also a lot of people, which I can't help. I can't help helping and coaching people. Uh, you know, there were some black students that just weren't getting challenging music and stuff. So, you know, I took on some things on myself, which kind of... I will say we had a Performance Now um, workshop a few years back, and I still have the list of notes. I actually gave it to one of the actors mm. um, the other day. Let me find it for you real fast. This was March 5th. 2016 it says okay. figure out who the character is powerful and smart rehearse at the time oh, did I, did I? at performance level <laughs> at all times yes i wrote all of these things now it wow. says know who you are know where you are who are you talking to figure out the details and i wrote um performance now workshops under education and training and it says substitute for something real know the story and be honest but these are all things that I wrote down wow. during that moment. And that was in um, 2016. So I do try to take um, everything I learned. And Joshua, you know, I was going to say, you can see, I know Josh the best as of your kids. So yes, of all your kids, I know Josh the best. Mm -hmm. And then knowing you, I can definitely see the things that you taught him and instilled in him transfer over. And he's helped me a lot. Um, as far as um, being a teacher or a mentor, even if you want to see, say, so when we had a chance to do that workshop with you, I was like, okay, so this is where Josh gets a lot of his <laughs> methods from. But it was a very um, helpful experience with me, and, and um, Maz also was uh, there. Yes. But I think about those things still when I'm developing my characters. Correct. Like Joshua 
Well, let me answer a couple questions that you asked me that I didn't answer yet. So I want to get those out the way while they're still fresh in my mind in reference to the company, dance company and yes. all that. Um, so once I graduated, my plan was to open a performing arts school. Not because I wanted to, but because, okay, I'm a mom, I got all these kids, <laughs> and I can't travel like I want to. So, But I have to instill, I have to... Uh, help people. I have to coach people. I mean, that's, I love seeing the possibility of a person coming to the forefront. That's like a high for me. So in starting the school, um, the dance portion of it, all of a sudden people were asking for uh, my dancers to come do something. And it's like, okay, especially churches, like, no, no, I don't, I don't do that. I'm not trying to do that. We're doing like real dance they have on leotards, you know, they, they're half naked. Um, as time went on, people got it. The thing was, I exposed, okay, so we look at dance today, and all the genres are mixed together. Back then, we were doing that. That's what I was doing, and no one was doing that. So if you came into my dance program, you had to learn every genre. Right. We didn't do ballroom, but you had to learn every genre of dance. And when we got through with our classes, we'd throw on our tap shoes and just hang out, literally, all day and all night, which was the fun thing. So as time went on, people began to request our dancers. And it literally went from um, what it started out to be to us end up doing annual performances at Stamba Auditorium for all the schools. Um, what I couldn't give them, I made sure they got. So they did workshops with Alvin Ailey, Danny Brusecki, anyone, you know, that uh, I could expose them to. You know, we did collaborations with Ballet Western Reserve. Um, uh, Michelle Hagen's brother, Jim Lepore, would come in with, you know, the whole Cuban thing, which we did with them every year. In fact, Jim, Jim is my dance partner to this day. You put on some Latin music, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, so that's how that happened. Uh, they were literally invited to the World Dance Competition in 2001, but then 9-11 happened, you know. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, which we were excited about. Well, I mean, it, it never crossed anyone's mind that we were anything special. The difference was all the kids in... Archangel Dance Theater knew God and loved God. And so even uh, David Vosberg would say, I, I don't understand why your company, when they dance, they make me cry. I just don't understand. It's, it's called anointing, David. You know, it's okay. Um, but it made them stand out. You know, as a performer, if you're not evoking an emotion in someone, then you're not performing and you're not using your gift correctly. Uh, your gift, a gift is a gift. A gift is to give away. If you're keeping it all to yourself, then you're not using your gift. I'm glad you said that because that's why I go on stage to give that audience everything I have. And in return, I would just, I, I always say in return, I would like an applause yes. at the end. That's what I'm, that's what I'm working for. I'm yes. working for the applause. I'm out here to give you everything I want. So in the in the end, return, all I'm asking for right. is the applause if that's what you feel like I deserve. But that's why I'm here. That's why it's so devastating, and we have to learn how to deal with it if you don't feel you gave them your all. It's like it's a 
inside. Oh my God, it's internal. I didn't do my job. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, it could be I've devastating. definitely been there. I felt yeah. like, I'm like, wow, I'm just out here sounding bad or just not feeling like I'm understanding my character, but I still have to be out here and do it. And when I did Pippin last year, I had a hard time. I think we talked about it. I, I had a hard time understanding who um, the leading player was. I didn't know if he was the devil. I didn't know if like he was the conscience. And, me either. And it was so confusing for, for me. I watched the DVD. I watched Ben Vereen, but I just did not understand. I didn't understand what was going on. But I, I it was only in in the middle of the second week before the second weekend, which now I only have three shows left that I understood my oh, character wow. a little bit, but mm-hmm. now I only have three shows to do it. So I was like, okay, well I got these three shows and I felt like I was more comfortable in the role and I understood him a little bit better, but mm-hmm. I was trying to get there sooner. <clears throat> and I think that was freaking me out, but I definitely felt like that first weekend I was just not, and even out throughout rehearsals, I, Felt like I was just doing a bad job, right. which probably wasn't true, but I just felt like I was doing a bad job, and then it made me feel worse. Yes, yes. Well, the thing about Josh, because when uh, Kinley was doing this reprise, um, I took Ebby and Josh on the road with me, and we were doing South Pacific, and John Kinley liked the look of my kids, so he wanted them to audition for the, you know, the two kids right. that are in. Ebby uh, didn't want to because she wasn't there yet, you know, and, and, you know, she had some medical issues growing up. And so um, Josh, he auditioned and he got the role of Jerome. He was six years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went to the first music rehearsal with him because all of their songs were in French. And so I'm sitting there trying to help him and he goes, Ma, I got this. Okay. <laughs> he dismissed me. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then during like the time when I was doing dance, because I said I never pushed my kids in anything. The only rule in our house was you will sing in choir in school because all y'all can sing. So yeah, in school you will sing in choir. Yes. Which they did. You know, they always got awards and stuff like that. But I never pushed anything else. Um, when I was giving dance lessons. Joshua, and he was maybe eight, nine, um, he would interrupt me because he felt they should be doing something different than I was teaching them to do. And would literally, that went on for about three, four years, he would get frustrated and would just kind of cry, go over in the corner like, I'm not listening to him. I'm like, I'm the teacher. Right. <laughs> 11-year-old child. Right. Um, <laughs> But that's always been in him. You know, it's just who he is. Like, people ask me, well, what else do you do? I, I don't do anything else. This is all, I've only done the arts. And I'm very careful who I say this to. Because a lot of people will say to me, well, you know, because I heard all the time when I first said to my parents, I'm going to school, oh, what are you going to major in? I'm going to be a voice major. What does that mean? Uh, you're going to teach music in school? No. Well, how do you major in voice? What kind of sense is that? There was, you know, what about a real, real degree, or what about right. a real job? Mm-hmm. So I still get that. Well, you're gonna get it, but I, as I said, I'm very careful who I say this to. If you get something to fall back on, you're gonna fall back on it. 
There are a few who know who they are, what they possess. They understand their talent. They understand their purpose. And they will proceed on in nothing but that. But when people convince you out of what you know, you're going to get something to fall back on. And I guarantee you, you will fall back on it. I'm glad I have not been thinking about the fallback. And I understand, like, sometimes with my parents and especially my dad from how he was raised, how he saw his dad work. He's like, you need to work. You need to make sure you, um, you know, can look out for your future. And I understand that. So the arts to him is something that's, like, not stable. I said, and I get it. You know, he had to grow up. He he was raising kids since he was a kid. So I was like, dad, dad, I get it. And if you if you want to get if I said when I'm 50 and you know it, or whenever I decide that I can't stop and your job's still hiring, <laughs> uh, if you can get me in, I'll come. But you know what, Dad? Right now I feel like I'm doing pretty decent, and I'm just gonna keep ahead going on and chasing my dream over here. <laughs> Which he comes to every single thing. He's excited to come and see Dream That's Girls. Right. He came great. to see me and Shrek. He comes to see all of my stuff, but he'll still be like, all right, now. <laughs> I was like, no, wait, Dad. I'm gonna get that one check, and you're gonna be like, okay. I'm like, I, you're gonna be real good with that. When I can yes. put you into retirement, I bet you'd be okay yes. with that. Yes. And I'm, yes. I, would, I would love to be able to do that. But I also had to realize that's not why I do what I do. Absolutely. I I remember being at a vocal master class and the question was asked, why do you sing? And people were saying all kinds of things. And I'm like, I responded, right? I don't know what they're talking about. I sing because I have to. I mean, there is no other reason. You know, as I said, you keep living to keep living, but I can only keep living by being who I am. There's sometimes I wouldn't know what I would do if I didn't like have like my voice. I'm like, it's the thing I love to do most. So the, like, again, when speaking about like growing up in a, in a, like a black church or when the, not having the voice, that type of voice, yes. that's what made me so sad too. Yes. I was like, wow, I really, really love yeah, to sing, but too. I don't think people like my voice. But I, I did, did not understand at a young age that I had like a, a theater voice. Correct. I knew it. I was like, whatever my voice sounds like is different. And I've like heard it before, but I did not understand. I said, I I think I can sing. It's not this, but this, it just doesn't fit in this. So I would sing. I was like, I'm singing R&B songs, but I'm trying to do all of these runs. I'm trying to sound like these singers. This just, it didn't fit my voice. I just didn't know anything about theater. I didn't know I was watching, I didn't, I was watching Grease. I didn't know like Greece is considered a musical. Oh, I wow. saw the Little Shop of Horrors. I, I didn't know. I was like, okay, this is a movie with music, and these people are, okay. are singing and dancing. Okay. So I, actual musical theater and like Broadway. I, I was almost out of. Well, you know, I was in high school because I knew the color purple was on Broadway, and I knew Broadway what Broadway was, but I was not ever in the mindset of, oh, I can do that. I wanted to sing and dance. Right. So when I was able to start doing theater, I was like, oh, you know, I still like to sing and dance. And then I was like, oh, I didn't realize this was an entire world of its own because I've always just loved to 
perform. But walking into um, theater, walking into Top Hat Productions with um, um, Brian, Brian mm-hmm. and the family and that feeling there, it was a great place for me to start. And then I had people like Josh, like Jacinda and Coot, who have been with me on my whole journey um, to where I get today. And sometimes people always, well, why you still live here? Why are you still doing that community theater? I said, well, that community theater has prepared me to go off and do Shrek, to be able to have the confidence and be able to sing um, Rocktopia, which I will say that was our, I think that was our, was that our first like actual show together to be able to perform with? You talking about you and I? Yes. Well, of course. You well, know. yes. Yeah, right. not the old lady. Yes, yeah. and I was very pleased. I was like, oh, this is my first show with KCG. I was so excited. Everybody was there. I was so happy that for Josh, for them to even trust him to yes. be able to choose people and for him to choose us and then for him to have friends he could do that for. I was like, I know that was a big check off. But Josh has always been an excellent yes. teacher, an excellent motivator. Yes. He really knows how to talk to each person individually and find what's right for them and find how to say it for them. And that's what I've realized and picked up on and taken for me also over the years. It's just, I was like, okay, you know, Josh got all these little nuggets. He dropping out. Let me go ahead, pick that up. I'm going to pick that up. And it's been great. No matter where he is performing, I don't care if it's the Grammys or Broadway, no matter where he is, he's always been that person that I've looked up to and he's been inspirational he's like this person that we have here showing us the way correct and we used to talk all the time I used to say Josh let's move to New York let's move to New York he'll be like no I'm not ready and I'm like well Josh I'm ready and if I'm ready you gotta be ready but he's like nah everything will happen in its own time that is right and I've learned so much from him and he's been one of my best best friends and you gave him to me so thank you you're very welcome (laughs) so as we get down to the close. Um, are there any questions that you would like to ask me? Um, where to from here? That is a good question. <laughs> I've been, um, like I said, I was away during the summer doing Shrek. And it was my first like real big gig to be away from home for right. two and a half months. And towards the middle of that process, I started thinking about, coming back coming back home I said what am I gonna do and if it's like kind of been stressing me out it's been keeping me up late at night again I, mm. I'm just like at home with my notepad and I'm like sitting there because um I don't know exactly what to do so right now I'm doing dream girls and then we're gonna do a night with I forgot the, the name of the next show it's a night Sorry, guys. I'll get that to you on the next episode. But we're going to do the next show because Pat is, um, Pat Foltz is directing. And it's okay. all singing. And it's okay. Rodgers and Hammerstein. So oh, great. it's a style of music okay. that I feel like I can. I feel like my voice can fit into that style of music. And I feel so it's going to be yes. good for me to yes. practice that. Yes. That's Me and Josh were talking about that on his episode. Being black guys and his voice is that golden age theater mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Curtis sings all the theater <laughs> parts all the musical theater parts in the show. I'm singing soul. The dreams are like singing R&B mm-hmm. and stuff. But here's Curtis coming to save the day. Mm-hmm. But we talked about that, but it was really funny. But um, I ultimately, um, after coming back, I feel like there's no limits now to where 
I can go. Figuring it out is, has been hard, but ultimately I feel like um, I would have to move and get, I want to get closer to a city where I can go on more auditions. And I know right now we have Cleveland and Pittsburgh to go to also. So I've been trying to figure out how to make it my nine to five first and, mm-hmm. and, and go from there. Cause right now I still have my day job and worrying about like having to like pay bills and stuff is really like the big thing. I'm like, okay, I want to yeah. go on these auditions because there was something that what um, I had the like the um, opportunity to go audition for somebody like doing this like small movie in Cleveland, but I would need be, would have been needed for two full days in the rehearsal process. So even that, I was just thinking, I'm like, wow. So I'm like, I don't know how to get around stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I want to go for that. It's a good opportunity, but I, I'm committed to Dream Girls right now, and it isn't fair for me to just be missing. I've already been missing for three weeks because I was somewhere else. Right, right. So I'm like, I don't know how to like get around that. But I was glad that whoever reached out to me reached out to me. So I'm trying to figure out like where I fit at in these musicals, like for new things happening that I don't know or for um, film or other things. So I'm really just trying to figure out things. But in the meantime, I've been um, writing music. I'm still trying to figure out who James Major Burns is as James Major Burns and not Jimmy Thunder Early. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm on stage when I'm just me on stage. I'm still like, okay, what ki- what type of performer am I? Like, who am I? as that singer. So that's been something I've been not like struggling with, but trying to just like figure out. And as I do it more, I get a better sense of myself, but I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. I said something along that vein to Trey yesterday, and I've been saying it, I guess, through, you know, our communicating here, you have to know you, you know, and then you won't be trying to figure it out. You won't be trying to figure out what to do. Things will just come to you. Um, you know, I did Porgy and Bess in June 1st, Cleveland Public Square, Ohio Theater. I am over the hill. Not, I don't think this. I'm just figuratively speaking. I am over the hill as an opera singer to be trying to portray a 30-something-year-old woman, you know, with the flexibility that is needed vocally you know, in order to pull that role off. In reference to the acting, I knew I could do that. When they approached me, um, I laughed at them and said, (laughs) oh, thank you, but I I don't do best in my senior years. Um, You know, I've done Serena. In fact, 10 years ago, I declared I was not an opera singer anymore. You don't know who's looking at you. Like, once they heard me sing, they bugged me daily for three weeks. No, you are our best. You know, and so I got counseling. I had to get counseling. I had to consult my colleagues. These crazy people want me to do best. And they thought I was crazy. Um, So I'm telling my age, you know, I'll be 70 in January. And 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 blessed to be. I hope to. It's the fact that someone thinks I'm still relevant. But if you don't know who you are. So then I got. Uh, an email from uh, a producer in LA um, maybe a month ago now who said I'm, I'm doing this film and I think you'd be perfect for this role if you want it 
And I'm thinking I knew him. I'm, I'm thinking this is someone I know that I worked with, you know, some years ago in Cleveland. And so when we were on set filming, and, I, and I'm looking like, okay, so we met where, he said, I never met you. I've just been following you for the last five years. You know, your stage work, and I've always wanted to work with you, and now here, I thought this was an opportunity. So it's not so much, uh, let me figure out, okay, what am I going to do next? Let me get, you don't know who's watching you. All you have to do is settle who you are inside you first. Continue to work, continue to uh, increase and improve your craft. And everything that's due, James Major Burns, will come to you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. And on that note, because that was so beautiful, we will end there. It has been very, very, very nice having you. But before we end, do you want to tell the people about the beautiful performance you have coming up with your family? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Jazz in the Park was something I started 25 years ago by accident. And it's when I started the performing arts school and at the end of our uh, summer, we had a summer program, and at the time there was so much crime in Youngstown, and Youngstown was under the gun to do something during the summer. They didn't have a summer program. I did, so they came to me. And when we ended uh, the program, we ended it down on Lincoln Park. YSU Jazz Ensemble came down to play. Uh, I had the kids perform. We did some chalk art. It was amazing. About 200 people showed up. The Vindicators spent the whole day with us. Mm. The next year, people started asking, so are you going to have jazz in the park again? And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, when you had jazz in the park last year. And from that point on, we started jazz in the park. So we are celebrating 25 years. And all of my kids are here. We are all on the same terra firma at the same time. And we are so excited to be able to all touch each other. That's very Collectively. Because uh, we are Levitical. We are a Levite tribe. We love performing and doing and touching and clowning. Um, Jazz in the Park. I'm not sure if we're at the amphitheater or the B&O. I think we're going to be back at the B&O. Right. Uh, from 4 to 8, it's normally 3 to 7. We do have a guest jazz band coming in, but Green Dynasty, which is uh, Mike and Paul. Unfortunately, Mikey's going to have to leave. Oh, no, breaking my heart. No. Um, but my daughter will be in, and, and they're all performing. I'm excited to see Ebony. That song she sang in the, the Nativity, Nativity the, the Hope, Hope. Um, when Kiki and Annalise yes, dance too, yes. that's my song. Oh. I love that song. I listened to I have recorded it. Oh my goodness. And I just listened to it and listened to it. I told Josh, I said, I need that song. And you know what? Just breathe. I, I would just be walking around singing, here's the ultimate. I love the music in that yeah. show. We still want we still plan on making a soundtrack and don't be surprised if somewhere in the near future, next couple of years, I'm doing that again somewhere and uh, it will be greatly tweaked. You know, I mean we literally uh, the, the finale song uh, I wrote the day before we opened. And Josh taught it to them. He did the arrangement. They had to learn it. And then we performed it. Listen, uh, I helped I backstage for that show. So I, I, I remember, I remember. I was like, y'all working this. But to me, that show, I'm like, this is show business. You got to be ready. Things it are going to be is. changed. And that's why I'm always, so when things are kind of happening and they're kind of like chaotic a little bit, I'm like, well, I get this. 
because things can, I'm, I just want to be ready for whatever. I just want to be ready for whatever change. And if somebody's looking for somebody who's ready, you can call James Major Burns we because I stay ready. Yes. But yes. Yes. thank you so, so much for coming on. I can't wait to see the Green Dynasty perform. The last time I think they performed, it was that I saw them was um, when the federal was called the Lemon Grove. Oh, and that they was were, 2011. And they were all green. Yes. Our yes. Green Dynasty weekend yes. event. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the last time. Which we want to do again. We were able to raise uh, $1,000 and present it to a young jazz singer who had an opportunity to go to China. Wow. You know, we want to, and that's in reference to the gift. If we're not using our gift for someone other than just us. Thank you. You know, we have to be able to give. We want to be able to consistently do Green Dynasty Weekend somewhere and help someone in their career who understands who they are and push them a little further. Um, You know, uh, we want to connect back with Jazz in the Park, uh, a week of performing arts something, because that's originally how it started. Jazz in the Park only supported what we were doing with kids. So, um, yeah, I didn't realize that you had to be kind of young. But 20 or 21. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, that's when I just started doing um, shows at Top Hat. So that's when me and okay. Josh, because I knew who Josh was because I was a huge fan of, of the Youngstown Connection. The first time I saw them, I was, I, I couldn't believe it because I didn't, I didn't know this existed in, over here. Yeah. I was a singer, but I was still kind of afraid to sing. So I was like, who are these people. And I always tell Josh, I said, y'all, that time when you were in the group, y'all had some heavy hitters. Just look at what like your group right now, some of you are doing, but they were great. But I just want to say thank you for being a a great leader and a leader that is passing on the information to people that are coming after them, because there's a lot of people who I sometimes look to who came before me, who I want to get advice from or want them to like lead you know, point us in the right direction. And sometimes it feels like a competition with them versus, hey, I did my thing. I learned this. I want you to learn this and do your thing. And you push this on to the next one. Yes. So I want to thank you very much for being that person and a great mother to one of my best friends. Thank you. And this has been The Third Degree with James Major Burns and Karen Clark Green Cooks. You all have a very lovely weekend and happy holiday.